Good morning, church. Wow. Let's pull that back. That was exciting. It's, it's kind of fun, you know, having one of these on because you feel very powerful. So... Joan, Joan did not feel powerful. She was sort of underpowered with her, her microphone. I want to read to you, uh, my favorite, uh, verse from my favorite patriotic song. You know this, but maybe you don't know this verse. Oh, beautiful for pilgrim feet, whose stern and passion stress a thoroughfare for freedom beat across the wilderness. America, America, God, mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty in law. Part of our freedom as Christians is to recognize that we're not perfect. Part of our freedom in this country is to recognize that we can be a better country. And so on this 4th of July, we celebrate where we've been. We celebrate our independence, where we stand in this world. And we continue to pray to God to mend our every flaw. Our second reading this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20. I will be reading verses 17 through 38. The text of that is uh, in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along. Hear the word of God. In Melitus, Paul sent a messenger back to Ephesus, telling the elders of the church in Ephesus to come to him. When they came, Paul said to them, You know about my life from the first day I came to Asia. You know the way I lived all the time I was with you. The Jews planned things against me, and this gave me much trouble. But you know that I always served the Lord, sometimes with tears. I never thought about myself first. I always did what was best for you. I told you the good news about Jesus in public, before the people, and I also told, taught in your homes. I told everyone, Jews, Jewish and non-Jewish people, to change and to turn to God. I told them all to believe in our Lord Jesus, but now I must obey the Spirit and go to Jerusalem. I don't know what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit tells me that troubles and even jail wait for me. I don't care about my own life. The most important thing is that I finish my work. I want to finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do, to tell people the good news about God's grace. And now listen to me. I know that none of you will ever see me again. All the time I was with you, I told you the good news about God's kingdom. So today I can tell you one thing that I am sure of. God will not blame me if some of you are not saved. I can say this because I know that I told you everything that God wants you to know. Be careful for yourselves and for all the people that God has given you. The Holy Spirit gave you the work of caring for this flock. You must be shepherds to the church of God, the people he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, some men will come into your group. They will be like wild wolves and try to destroy the flock. Also, men from your own group will begin to teach things that are wrong. They will lead some of the Lord's followers away from the truth to follow them. 
So be careful. And always remember what I did during the three years I was with you. I never stopped reminding each one of you how you should live, counseling you day and night and crying over you. Now I'm putting you in God's care. I am depending on the message about His grace to make you strong. That message is able to give you the blessings that God gives to all His holy people. When I was with you, I never wanted anyone's money or fine clothes. You know that I always work to take care of my own needs and the needs of the people who were with me. I always showed you that you should work just as I did and help people who are weak. I taught you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. You will have a greater blessing when you give than when you receive. When Paul finished speaking, he knelt down and they all prayed together. They cried and cried. They were especially sad because Paul had said that they would never see him again. They hugged him and kissed him. Then they went with him to the ship to say goodbye. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would call us away from the noise of the world for this hour and let us settle into your arms and into your heart. Thank you for the fellowship of saints who are gathered in this room. We thank you that you have given us a place within the fold that you have gathered us as your sheep. I pray that we might be safe and secure with one another. I pray that you would draw us closer to one another as you draw us closer to yourself. Lord God, you have called us by your word. Your word is life. Your word created this world. Your word redeems this world. Your word redeems us. You have the words of life. And so we turn our ears to you this day and we turn away from the noise of the world from the chaos of the world, from the lies of the world. And we turn to your truth and we pray that in your truth we might find our salvation, that in your truth we might find our focus, that in your truth we might find our comfort, that in your truth we might find our way forward. We thank you for the invitation to meet you at your table this morning. We gather around this table not as people who are worthy or who have earned a place at the table. We gather at this table as people who've been picked up out of the ditch and invited to the banquet with the king. That's all your work. That's not our work. And so as we gather at the table This morning we celebrate you, our King and our Redeemer, the one who rescued us, the one who turned us around, the one who invited us in and gave us a place of worth. You were worthy. And Lord, we ask that you would be honored and glorified in our worship this morning. 
I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. I pray that your Spirit would descend upon this congregation. Have your way with us. Bring glory to yourself. Let our voices join with the voices of the millions in heaven singing and shouting your praise this day. Lord, we were created to sing your praise. And so let us for this hour, this morning, live exactly the way that you made us to live. As a foretaste of eternity that we'll have with you. We pray for those of our number who were not able to uh, gather here in worship. Lord, for those who are sick or those who are afraid, we pray that you would comfort them and that you would heal them. For those that are traveling, we pray that the fellowship of the, of the believers would remain true and strong. And Lord, for those who have simply wandered away or find it more convenient to not gather for public worship on a weekly basis, we pray that you would correct them and reprove them and return them to where they belong. Lord God, we are your people and we sing your praise this day in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So it's good to be with you. I've been gone for the last couple uh, of weeks on was traveling uh, to Missouri and to Arkansas to visit with my family. We uh, had gathered uh, in Missouri for a, a memorial service for my mother. She passed last year, and because of the COVID, uh, people weren't able to gather. And so uh, the family descended on my uh, hometown in Missouri, and, and it was we had a wonderful time of, of seeing each other. It's very rare in my family for all of the siblings to get together. I think maybe five times in 30 years that all four of us have been together and, and, uh, this, this past week was, was one of those occasions. So I appreciate the, the liberty to be able to be out of the pulpit. I also appreciate, uh, the, the other teaching leadership that we have in this church. I appreciate the fact that we've got a deep bench, uh, in this church that our elders are able to step up and, and fill in when, when, uh, when I'm away. But it is, it is a delight for me, uh, to be back. Uh, in our reading this morning, we are uh, encountering the Apostle Paul's farewell uh, speech uh, to the elders uh, at the church in Ephesus. You'll recall that uh, Paul has been in Ephesus for three years. Uh, he founded that church. He grew that church. He lived amongst these people. Uh, he preached regularly. He taught them in their homes. Um, and after this three-year uh, sojourn with the church in Ephesus, Paul then goes on uh, a little bit of a walking tour up in Macedonia and uh, in Greece. Uh, Ephesus is in Turkey, what we call Turkey today. So he's crossed the water up into into Greece and into Macedonia. And he's visited some places that he's visited before. And he's gone to some new places. And he's about three months uh, up there, and he's eager to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has called him to travel to Jerusalem, and he has in mind to be in Jerusalem uh, before uh, Pentecost. So he's got a certain date in mind, and his re- his uh, return to Jerusalem is going to take him down along the coast of Turkey, past the city of Ephesus, and he wants to see these folks one last time. Well, not exactly. 
Because he knows that if he were to go to Ephesus, he would never get out of there. I, I don't know if you've ever had friends like this. When you stop in their house, you're going to stop by for a few minutes and you end up being there for a couple of hours. And if you're in a hurry, you just know better, I'm not going to stop by their house. Paul's this way. Paul lands at the port city. He's in Melitus. And from the port, he sends a messenger on to uh, Ephesus, which is about 36 miles away. And he says, send the elders to me. If I go to Ephesus, I'm going to get stuck there. So send your leadership uh, to me here at Melitus. And so I don't know how long it takes to travel 36 miles this way by foot and 36 miles that way by foot. But obviously there was a certain amount of time that transpired. And the elders come to the Apostle Paul there in the city of Melitus. And we and we have this discourse uh, uh, that we uh, read uh, this morning. Now this is a... Farewell discourse. There are occasions in our lives when we come to the end of a certain season or that we come to the end of our lives and uh, we have this desire to sum things up. We have a desire to say the most important things just one more time. And Paul apparently had this same desire. He knew by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see these people again. This was a beloved church. He had spent three years with them. He has a lot to say to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. He sees what their future holds and he's concerned about their future. And so he wants to talk to them. Now, this speech that is recorded for us here by Luke uh, is the only example in the Acts of the Apostles of Paul giving a speech to Christians, which is interesting, okay? Uh, because the other speeches that we have by the Apostle Paul in, in the Acts of the Apostles are to pagans or to uh, unconverted Jews. But here is an example of Paul speaking words of encouragement directly to the church, or more specifically in this case, to the leadership of his church. You might want to say that this is uh, a pastor's final uh, conversation with his session, with his board of elders. So the instruction, so what we see uh, in this passage are three different mm, sections. There's a, there's a defense of Paul's ministry where he where he gives an account of what he's done there's some instructions to the elders about what they need to be doing in future and then there's a commendation a a kind of turning them over to the lord uh for the for the lord's uh guidance uh in the future so if you want to pull that passage out it might be helpful for you to have it in front of you i just want to step through it and lift up certain passages um and we'll, we'll talk about them as, as time permits. So let me begin, uh, at verse, uh, at verse 18. When they came, Paul said to them, you know about my life from the first day I came to Asia. You know the way I lived all the time I was with you. Paul is Indicating that his life and not just his words are the message of the apostle. It's one thing to hear a preacher preach. It's another thing to observe the life of a pastor. And in this case, Paul is lifting up his own life and he's saying, take a look. 
You've seen how I've been living. I mean, obviously you've seen how I've been speaking or you've been hearing how I've been speaking, but you've also seen how I've been living. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, you are to imitate me, Paul, just as I imitate Christ. Now I have to tell you that as a pastor, this is a, a very intimidating posture on the part of Paul. I am not inclined to say to you, imitate me. Okay. Now I'm, I'm going to assume that the apostle Paul was better at this than I am. All right. My hope is, is that as your pastor, everything that I say to you is true. Okay. That's, that's my primary concern, that in all of my preaching and my teaching, everything that I'm saying to you is based in Scripture. So my words are true, but my life is not a life of purity. My life is not one that I want to hold up as an example to you and say, you know, you ought to live, you ought to live like, like me. The Apostle Paul is able to do this. His life has been lived in such a way that he lifts up his own life and says, I want you to imitate me. I want you to copy my pattern of behavior in the same way that I am copying the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to encourage all of you to copy the life of Christ. Okay, I can feel safe in doing that. I can also encourage you to copy the life of the Apostle Paul. That would be safe for me to say as well, but I'm reluctant to say that you should copy, that you should copy my life. Paul's life and, uh, in addition to his words were also part of his message. Verse 19. The Jews planned things against me and this gave me much trouble, but you know that I always serve the Lord, sometimes with tears, I never thought about myself first. I always did what was best for you. Okay, so this is a pastor, a church planter, a church founder, talking to his board of elders. And he's saying, I never did what was best for me. I always did what was best for you. Now, this is the, the shepherd talking to the, to the little shepherds, to the under shepherds, and indicating that the, the shepherds serve God by serving the people. He's calling the elders of this church into a life of service, and the way that they're going to be able to serve God is if they serve their people. Now, it's a funny thing to think about, because I am doing my duty toward God when I do my duty toward you. Okay? My duty toward God is my duty to you. Now, Sometimes there's a problem because uh, people in a congregation might think that the pastor's duty to them is different than what God thinks the pastor's duty is to them. All right? That's a different kind of problem. But we, the pastor serves God well when he serves his congregation well. And Paul is encouraging these elders who are now going to take over the leadership of this church in his absence to do the same thing. I always did what was best for you, if we're worried about our flock, if we're worried about our people, things are going to be well for us. If we're worried about the people who've been put under our care, we 
as the leadership will prosper, if we're taking care of the people who've been assigned to us by God, all will be well for us. Now, let's take a look at what it is that Paul actually then did. This is uh, in the second part of verse 20 and in verse 21. I told you the good news about Jesus in public before the people, and I also taught in your homes. I told everyone, Jewish and non-Jewish people, to change and to turn to God. I told them all to believe in the Lord Jesus. Okay, so Paul has said that his duty to God is fulfilling his duty to his people. Now, what has he done for his people? Well, he's identified it here in a nutshell. What he's done uh, for his people, well, first of all, he's created his congregation by preaching generally. So when Paul arrived uh, at Ephesus, he first goes to the synagogue, uh, which is a natural place to go. So he's going uh, to the gathering place of people who already believe in God and is talking to them about the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. At some point, they throw him out of the synagogue, and so he rents a public lecture hall, Tyrannius' hall, and he, he, he just gives lectures there on a weekly basis. So he's teaching in public. Anyone can hear him teach. Anyone can hear him preach. All right? In the proclamation of the gospel in a public forum, the church is called out from and drawn out from the world. Okay? The Greek name for the church, ecclesia, is an indication of those who have been called out of. Paul preaches to everybody. You preach the gospel to all people. Some people will hear the gospel. Some people will respond to the gospel. Some people the Holy Spirit will get a hold of, and that gospel will take root and it will grow up. Okay, And those are the church. You preach to everybody, but then out of that comes the church. All right. So there's two obligations here. One, we've got an obligation to the world. We as the church are constantly in the business of preaching to everyone in the neighborhood. All right, Because some of those people God wants to call to himself. Some of those people God will fill with the Holy Spirit and they're going to respond to the gospel. That's the first obligation. But then once you have the gathered flock, we who are gathered here, once we have the gathered flock, then there's a special obligation to those people as well. So here's what he does. He preaches the good news in public and then he teaches them in their homes. Okay? Teaches them in their homes. We meet every week for public worship. Public worship is fundamental to what it means to be a follower of Christ. We as Christians gather publicly to be with each other, to support each other, to encourage each other, and to praise God and to worship Him and to study His Word. That's the public worship. But we also meet regularly in each other's homes. Or we meet under the, the hood of the barn uh, over there. We gather for small groups. We gather in Sunday schools because uh, there's, a, there's an increase, there's a, a additional teaching that goes on uh, in, in, in the life of the church. Now, what's the message that Paul is preaching? What's the message that Paul is teaching? There's two answers to this. But I'm going to give you the short answer first. The short answer is here. I told everyone, Jew and non-Jew, to change and to turn to God. 
I told them all to believe in the Lord Jesus. Okay? That's the core of the gospel. That's the, that's the nut of what Paul's preaching. Now, Paul is a large, big, complicated, theological preacher and teacher. But the nut of it is, you need to repent and turn to God and believe in Jesus. Okay, You need to repent and turn to God and believe in Jesus. The preaching of the gospel is always a call to change your life. The preaching of the gospel is always a call to repentance. It's always a call to stop doing what you were doing and start doing something new. All right. Now, there are other things that masquerade as the gospel which don't call you to change who you are. All right. The gospel will require you to change. Some part of you is out of alignment with God. And that's got to change. And when we come to faith for that first time, that can be a a rather dramatic uh, change. And then as our lives go along, as we are sanctified more and more, the change goes on incrementally. But the point here is, is that the gospel always involves a change. If you're looking for a message that's simply affirming you where you are, then you're not looking for the gospel. You're probably looking for a TED talk. You're probably looking for a Facebook meme that will confirm you the way that you are. The gospel will challenge you. Whoever you are, whatever culture you come out of, the gospel challenges us. Why? Because our loyalties as humans, when we come out of that womb, we come out of that womb like little Napoleons thinking that we rule the world, and there has to be a realignment. We have to discover, oh, we don't rule the world, God rules the world. This isn't my world, this is God's world. And that's already a change right right at the beginning. All right. So the gospel always involves a call uh, to change and a call to repentance. There's someone here uh, in this room this morning. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you who. He can tell you his story himself if he wants to one time. But he grew up in the church. He spent every Sunday in church. And he never heard the gospel. He never heard a call to repentance He grew up in a denomination where that was ignored, where it was a very loving and affirming church, but there was no call to change. And he visited some other church and he heard the gospel preach and the Holy Spirit showed up and awakened in his heart. And he was converted much later after having spent all of those years in in a church. So Paul is very clear here that Paul preaches to everyone. He teaches the the congregation, and the core, the nut of what he teaches is to change and to turn to God and to believe in Jesus Christ. Core of the message. Now let me jump down to verse 25. So in in that first part of, uh, of this uh, passage that we read, we have Paul's kind of explanation or his defense, his apology for his own method. And now, beginning at verse 25, uh, we have some of Paul's instruction to the elders. There's a lot here. I'm hoping I can get through a bunch of it. Let me read for you. And now listen to me. I know that none of you will ever see me again. 
All the time that I was with you, I told you the good news about God's kingdom. So today I can tell you one thing that I am sure of. God will not blame me if some of you are not saved. I can say this because I know that I told you everything that God wants you to know. Okay, we're coming down to Paul's valedictory address this is Paul's instruction to the Ephesians, the new Ephesian shepherds, the, the elders who are going to be now running the church. And he says two things. One is, is that he himself will not be to blame if anyone in Ephesus is lost. God will not blame me if some of you are not saved. Let me be very clear. Scripture does not teach that all people are saved. Okay? This is a false doctrine. It's called universalism. It is not biblical. The church has never taught this. Jesus did not teach this. Some are saved and some are lost. Now, we call all people to repentance, and God wants people, everyone, to be saved, but all are not saved. And Paul reemphasizes this point here. God's not going to blame me if some of you haven't been saved. Why? Well, because he's preached to them. He's taught them everything that they would need to know. All right? Now... We need to hear the gospel in order to respond to the gospel. Someone has to preach it to us. But once we've heard it, then we have an opportunity. Well, I can either respond to that or I can say, you know what, I'd rather continue the way that I am. Paul had been preaching for three years. He was well known. He was so, he was having such an impact on the area. I mean, last week, I guess you heard about the riot that had occurred there in Ephesus because of his preaching. So there was no one in that neighborhood who didn't know. And so no one was without excuse. Paul makes this clear, by the way, in the, in the opening chapters of the book of Romans that, that when the judgment day comes, no one's going to be able to say, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. Even people who haven't had the benefit of the preaching of the gospel aren't going to say that because they can just look at the starry heavens and know that there's a God and, and God will respond to them uh, in the amount of knowledge that they have. Everyone is going to have to give an account for themselves. And then there's this problem that the elders or the shepherds will also have to give an account of their flock. Okay? So each one of you will have to give an account of yourself. One day you're going to stand before Jesus. He's going to ask you about, well, how did this go? Let's go through what your life was. What did you do? Those of you who've been called into leadership bear an additional burden, which is why we should not seek leadership lightly because you will have to give an account of the people who you were responsible for. All right. This is the part of the job that just scares me. Okay. I don't only have to, I'm having enough trouble with my own life. All right. But I'm also going to have to give an account of your lives too. All right. And Paul's conscience feels clear here. He feels like, you know what? I did right by you. I preached to you uh, uh, everything that you need to know. In verse 27, I can say this because I know that I told you everything that God wants you to know. The more familiar translation uh, that you might uh, 
be accustomed to is, is this phrase, whole counsel of God. He's given them the whole counsel of God. You know, the Bible is a rich document. It teaches a lot of things. And Paul's letters, of course, are the largest part of the New Testament. They are very rich. Uh, the whole counsel of God covers a lot of territory. I mean, we talked about the basics of the gospel. We're going to talk about the basics of the gospel at the end of this sermon again. But the basics of the gospel are not the whole. You might recall that the frustration of Paul uh, at always having to give, uh, always having to preach the milk again. Okay, you, you haven't matured. You know, you should be on to the meat already, but you're still a bunch of babies. And I'm having to give you the milk. All right, there's a distinction there between you know maybe the core of the message and the broader whole council. Paul had been with them long enough to have delivered the whole council of God. Now, one of the reasons. In the Reformed tradition that we preach the way we do. So in this church, we preach straight through whole books of the Bible at a time. Some people think, oh, this is very tedious. Like, what, you know, we got to read all those things. And aren't those, you know, some of those parts are not as interesting as other parts. And the reason that we do it is that we want to make sure that we get the whole counsel of God rather than the preacher's favorite passages. Okay, It forces me, as your pastor, to address issues that uh, maybe I'm not up on, maybe I'm not interested in, maybe i just really rather not talk about because they're controversial. But if I have to preach through the whole thing, uh, we have a better chance of receiving the whole counsel of God. In those three years, Paul was able to preach and teach uh, in this kind of robust way. Verse 28. Again, Paul's, Paul the Apostle's instruction to the elders. Be careful for yourselves. Be careful for yourselves. Those of you who are in church leadership, raise your hand if you are in leadership in this church. Okay, Those of you who are in church leadership, elders, deacons, teachers... Dr. Foster, did you raise your hand? Thank you. <laughs> okay. You've got like the biggest sub flock around here. Okay. Be careful for yourself. Okay. You need to watch your life so that you can watch over the people in your flock. Okay. If your life is disordered, you're not going to be able to bring order and sense into the lives of your people. Okay, If your life is plagued by sin, you're not going to be able to call people out of sin yourself. I have discovered in leadership here in this church, and this is really my first leadership role in my, my life, and I had to kind of you know learn it by being thrown to the wolves or being I don't know what the metaphor that doesn't sound very nice does it Joan Joan is giving me the the the, the look okay <laughs> um uh I had to I I, I had to, I was thrown in and I had to learn to sink or, or or to swim and one of the things that I've discovered uh here in this church is that the church will never progress any will never progress f- farther than you are okay if you're the leader, they're always going to be just a little bit behind you. Okay, so you're, unless you're willing to go to that place, people aren't going to follow you. 
So as leaders, we have to go to those hard places that we want our people to go to. We have to drive ourselves even as we're driving our people. We have to lead ourselves even as we're leading our people. So leaders, be careful for yourselves. That's you as an individual saint, but it's also you as someone who's got responsibility for other people. Be careful for yourself and for all the people that God has given you. All right. Those of you who are leaders in the church, you've been assigned flocks. You've got souls who are counting on you. And there, there, there is a responsibility and, and a burden on that. I am running out of time here, but let me just say one more thing. I'm going to jump down to verse 28, 29. I know that after I leave, some men will come into your group. They will be like wild wolves and will try to destroy the flock. Also, some men from your own group will begin to teach things that are wrong. They will lead some of the Lord's followers away from the truth to follow them. So be careful. First generation of the church. There's nothing new about false teaching. Um, there was a professor at Princeton Seminary by the name of B.B. Of Warfield. And his the title, he, he was the Charles Hodge Professor of Didactic and Polemical Theology. Which I, I love the name. Uh, <clears throat> But Warfield's job as a polemical theologian, we don't, they don't have one of these at Princeton anymore. Uh, Warfield's job as a polemical theologian was simply to be guarding the borders of the faith against intruders who would bring in false messages. And he was, he was a prolific writer. He never wrote a systematic theology, but he was constantly writing uh, a journal articles about wrong ideas that were cropping up here and there. And there are always wrong ideas that crop up in the world and sometimes in the church. And part of the function of the leadership of the church is to make sure that we understand the essentials and the basics of the faith. It's why we go back to, to documents like the Apostles' Creed, okay, J- just to remind ourselves, okay, now what has the church always taught? All right, sometimes people want to make up something new, uh, but we don't do that, uh, we don't do that in, in, in the church business. Now let me just uh, finally uh, close with this. Verse 32. Now I am putting you in God's care. I am depending on the message about his grace to make you strong. That message is able to give you the blessing that God gives to all his people. Paul has done all he can for these people. It's time to move on. And what what he's counting on in all of this is the gospel. I've given you the gospel. The gospel is going to make you strong. I've given you the gospel. The gospel is going to give you the blessings that give uh, that God gives to all of his holy people. The message of grace makes us strong and the message of grace is what gives us God's blessing and that basic message is the core of the gospel. So let's remind ourselves of what the core of the gospel is. I think the gospel begins in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we don't recognize that this world 
wasn't always here, if we don't recognize that someone outside of this universe made this universe with a plan and an intention, we can't understand the gospel. God made this world. God put us in this world. God gave us his commandment and his law. But each one of us has fallen by the wayside. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin are death. And so God, in his mercy and in his love for us, offered us an alternative. Now you can die. You can, you can choose to have an eternal death to pay for your sin. Or the better option is, is to believe in Christ and allow his death on a cross to be an atonement for your sin so that you can be free. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on a cross to pay for the sins of those who believe in him. So have you believed in him? Have you taken him up on the offer? Okay, That's the important question. All of you know about Jesus. All of you have heard about Jesus. Have all of you recognize that, you know what, that's my situation. I need to repent and I need to turn around and I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm calling you to do today. If you've never done it, do it today. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word to us and we thank you for uh, the preaching of Brother Paul. We thank you for uh, capturing his words uh, there in the Acts of the Apostles for us. May it feed our spirit and may it uh, make us who it is that you want us to be. This we pray in Jesus' name. 